Well, hello and welcome to the JLA cast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's seminal run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. I'm John. And I'm PJ. And um, by, by, by way of disclaimer, right off the bat, um, we just recorded arguably, or attempted to record arguably 20 minutes of solid gold content, like just the best podcast content you will now never hear before discovering what, PJ? I hadn't hit the record button. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so yeah, if you fancy hearing like 15, 20 minutes of John having a one-sided comp- uh, conversation with the air, uh, maybe we'll stick that on as like special features like <laughs> down the line. Um, but no, this is this is it. This is real. That was a, that was an acid test. And wow, now... and for an episode one of the podcast as well, this is going to attract listeners. <laughs> oh, I know. It's ki- it's killer, isn't it? All killer, no filler. Um. But no, hey, this is why we did an episode zero, you know, so we could ease people in to the level of professionalism they can expect. Um, okay, so by way of proper introduction, my name is John. I'm a writer. I'm the creator of a comic called Afterlife Inc. And I am one fourth of Big Punch Studios. Uh, and I'm PJ. I am also a writer. Uh written a few comics and audio plays, uh, probably most known for the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. Now, um, now, PJ, um, kind of off-air or on-air or whatever it was just then, uh, we, had a, we had a long conversation about uh, the, uh, the setting, the history, the context, uh, what JLA or the Justice League was at that time in history, uh, kind of in the mid-90s. Yes. Um, However, seeing as we no longer have that content, and we did kind of touch upon it in issue zero, uh, episode zero. <laughs> gotta get, I've stopped, gotta stop getting those confused. <laughs> um, and I do have a habit of waffling. Maybe we should just get right into it and start talking about issue one of Grant Morrison's JLA. Let's do it. Let's okay, just do let's, it. Let's do it. Okay, so I guess uh, by way of disclaimer, uh, we are going right into the main series. Uh, we are going to bounce back later to revisit uh, A Mixamer's Nightmare and what's the other one? Uh, Secret Files and Origins issue one. Which are chronologically the start of the series, but were not published. No, yeah, were published later, weren't they? I think Midsummer's Nightmare was published before, I think, the main series, Um, but it doesn't feel as as good as an introduction um the storyline collected in the new world order trade paperback just feels like a much stronger start indeed and you know for a show which is about grant morrison's run on the series it didn't feel entirely right to start with a with a storyline which was written by someone else but we will get there we'll 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 double back to it okay indeed indeed, indeed. okay so cast your mind back to january 1997 and in the weird 
way that comics always do when the timeline is kind of shifting. Uh, we have to assume that the comic itself is set in January 1997. <laughs> okay, so we open in Washington, D.C., uh, in the White House, where uh, the President of the United States of America uh, is bemoaning his recent kind of political misfortune. It's very quick, it's very choppy. We're, you know, right off the bat, I think it only in like the span of a page, yeah. uh, you get the entire kind of inciting incident where the president is moaning about policy and then suddenly he uh, looks out the window and a massive shadow has fallen over the White House because a massive UFO is now floating above the state of state of the nation. <laughs> Sorry, I ran out of synonyms for the White House. A massive <laughs> UFO is floating above the White House. Now, there is a key plot point on mm. page one, but it's so blinking you'll miss it. And and I think first time I read it, I did miss it. And it's that the uh, the president is is about to travel uh, to another country to um, talk to another uh, world leader. Never specified which one. Um, he asks about his superhuman escort and is told that Firehawk pulled out because they are sick. And they lost their powers as a result of being sick. I didn't know who Firehawk was when I read this. The the only reason I know who Firehawk is is because I own the DC Encyclopedia, <laughs> which has a single picture of Firehawk. Well, there you go. But that, it turns out that is key. So remember that. Firehawk, lost powers, sick. And again, I, th I think um, the telling point here is that we don't need to necessarily know anything about Firehawk other than their name is Firehawk, which would probably suggest that their powers are fire-based. You do Maybe. make some leaps, John. I don't know where you get this stuff. <laughs> Noted telekinetic Firehawk um, <laughs> got sick and lost their powers. Okay, so from this massive UFO appearing above the White House, we cut suddenly to the JLA, the Justice League, satellite, which is, I mean, I for me, I was always... You know, their later base was always like my kind of default base. Yeah. But I guess we can kind of assume <laughs> that this is where they live. This isn't just like a regular, uh, a recent addition. Like the Justice League, they watch the planet from their satellite. I think that was their base throughout most of the 80s, um, was the satellite headquarters, yeah. And now, talking about, you know, we mentioned Firehawks. So talking about like D-Lisk, maybe E-Lisk's uh, kind of celebrities here. The current Justice League incarnation... Uh, aboard the satellite, watching this all kind of like develop, are Metamorpho. Now, I would say Metamorpho, you can say, is B-list. He's he's held yes. his own. He's he's a known character if you read DC Comics. He's pretty pretty cool. I do like Metamorpho. I, I actually quite like Metamorpho. And I have to say, I know he only appears on a few pages. I like this particular version of Metamorpho, yeah. where he's got like a smoking head and kind of crystalline shoulders, where he's not quite quartered in the way he used to be. Yeah. Uh, so we have Metamorpho, the element man, or the elemental man, I believe. Uh, we have Nuclon. I swear I've got that right. Yep, Nuclon. Uh, who, oh God, this is where I'm digging into my trivia now. Isn't he related to Atom Smasher? Am I John, dreaming that? by saying his name, we have covered everything I know about Nuclon. <laughs> by, by saying his name, we have... We, we, you know, sometimes like you think every configuration of the English language has been said online somewhere. This is it. We are the first people to ever discuss Nuclon on a, um, 
in the audio medium. Uh, and we're not going to be discussing him for long. No, okay. Goodbye, Nuclon. You, you were fun. Um, Ice Maiden. And again, that's as much as I know about her. Okay. And Obsidian. Now, him I do know, but only because I believe he's the son of Alan Scott, the first Green Lantern. Yes. Uh, yes, who I, I think, as the name probably suggests, could control shadows and their like, I think. Yeah, something like that. Okay, so we're just going to say, just put a pin in them, people. They are very 90s, very D, E list, rounding up with the inclusion of Metamorpho to maybe like C overall. Um, they're not, you know, it's not Superman. But then look, who's arriving on the scene? Well, before we get to that, though, John, look at this. Uh, fire. She's called in sick. She's also lost her powers. Oh, mm. my God. I'm, I'm glad you're paying attention to this, PJ, because I, I swear to God, like... Um... <laughs> did, did you read it? <laughs> I did. <laughs> Spoilers. I've never read this series before. <laughs> I'm reading it live on air now. Um, but yeah, isn't that weird? Another superhero has gotten ill. But mm. There's also some dialogue from Metamorpho that seems to say we're being kicked out to make way for the A-team. So we can impl- we can take from that that that's the characters who are on the front cover of this book are coming in to be the justice league and basically saying to the d-list characters we don't know who you are go away um what one thing i like about this even though this is a very throwaway scene where we see the old leaguers um i like the fact that even in the space of a few panels we do get a nice bit of personality coming across because it's like they see this massive ufo and they're worried. You know, they're thinking like, oh God, like this actually looks a bit beyond our pay grade. And um, I just like the the fact that Metamorpho goes, hey, you know what? No need to freak out. You know, the big man's on the case. And you've just got Superman flying in to... Because of course he's Superman. He probably... Yeah, yeah he knows. He, he probably heard it enter the atmosphere or something. So Superman swoops in. Now, uh, there's it, something very interesting about this image of Superman. Um, do you notice the, the odd colouring on half of his face? Oh, yes. Yes, I do. Now, I I don't know if that's supposed to be a reference to uh, Electric Superman, because that hadn't happened yet in the in the comics, I don't think. I think that was 1998 they, that he appeared. But it just seemed very odd to me. And th- it was only this time I read it that I caught it, that they've made half his face blue for no apparent reason. Uh, PJ, you are blowing my mind. In all the years I've been reading this book, I have never noticed anything untoward about the fact that he has half a blue face there. Because it's not long into this book that he does, he stops appearing as the character we know and love and, and is now the electric blue version and of got Superman. Re- I know, that key moment where Superman got replaced by an infinitely better version of Superman. Whoa, what? Hang on. <laughs> One thing I will say about Superman, bear in mind the year is 1997. Look at that hair. <laughs> so... My mum once found this, uh, saw me reading this copy of, of New World Order, and she said to me, why does Superman have John Bon Jovi's hair? <laughs> <laughs> well, mum, the, the answer lies deep in the halcyon days of 1997, where, <laughs> again, this was like that kind of, we, we talked about it a bit in episode zero, but the, 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 the strange 90s changes that were going on to all these characters, and like a, a need to make them relevant, perhaps. Um Clearly, the angst with Superman was giving him like really long hair. Um, if you ask me, I think that would make it even harder for Clark Kent to hide his identity. No, it's really easy because Clark Kent has a ponytail and Superman keeps the hair free and loose. So they're obviously different people. 
Can we just can we just give some can we just give a bit of a shout out to the the mid nineties male ponytail, which was quite <laughs> which was quite a staple of superhero characters. It around really the time. was. It really you was. You know, and yet somehow the kind of hipster top knot hasn't quite done the same thing. <laughs> It's not a heroic look, is it? Oh, God bless the 90s. I love them so much. I um, never understood why Superman... Because the long hair was just death of Superman. He's still got short hair. Doomsday kills him. Return of Superman. He comes back to life and his hair's suddenly long and he just keeps it. Is that a bit of a... Is that a bit of a messiah kind of thing? You oh, know, it might be. Yeah, like... He, I'm amazed they didn't give him a beard, to be honest. <laughs> no, the eternal... Ma- I guess... Where would, where would Superman go to cut his hair? Because even if he cut his hair on Earth, you know, presumably using his his laser vision, his heat vision, because well, nothing else would cut it. That's how he shaves. I know that. But, that's how he shaves. But all those bristly Superman stubble hairs, they've got to go down the sink. I mean, think of the ecological damage those hairs are you know, just kind of reeking on the plumbing. Like, you know, they're probably, like, shredding the lead piping in his apartment building to to fragments. Do you know what, John? I think we've just come up with the next big DC character. Someone finds all of Superman's discarded stubble and makes an invulnerable suit out of it. Oh, my God. I'm not a fan of that. What what are those weird um, things you got as a kid where using like a magnet and iron filings, you could kind of like... Oh, God, yeah. You could like draw a beard on a face. I mean, yeah, he's basically that. He's like the Etch-A-Sketch of um, (laughs) supervillains. But yeah, so sorry. uh, So uh, under the UFO on the lawn outside the White House, uh, Superman has arrived. And he is, as Superman does... um, urging a bit of caution, a bit of diplomacy. He's he's a sensible guy. He's a sensible guy. Uh a big very muscular superman we have to say as is as is I mean he you know obviously he's a muscular fellow but um certainly Howard Porter's art at this point like he's a very god bless the 90s. He's a very 90s superman I have to say. Yes, he is. And but I I quite like superman being a big guy. It adds to the 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 mythicalness of his 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 character um and just he is the world's biggest superhero so he should be he should Literally, look the part the world's most swole superhero <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah so um these eight kind of giant metallic opaque eggs have descended from the UFO x-ray uh, opaque mm, superman points out that he can't see inside them and I love that little two-word phrase, X-ray opaque. It's just beautiful. I love it. <laughs> and also, you have the White House staff, and their security detail is a couple of um, checkmate officers. That is something I've only noticed this second, looking at the... <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> they are. So, yeah, so uh, I guess if you're not... Frankly, there's not much to say, but like Marvel has S.H.I.E.L.D., DC has Checkmate. Like, they're basically the exact same thing. Like, a government agency that deals with superhero nonsense. Yeah. It, that's I've got nothing. <laughs> You've got nothing. Okay. So, uh, Superman is urging everyone to be cautious as these uh, kind of... These hands emerge from one of these kind of X-ray opaque eggs. And stepping out of it are... The Hyper Clan, who is this... Uh, 
incredible new team of um, of superheroes we're all going to come to love over the course of this series, um, who are very much a superhero team, by which I mean they've very much been designed as a superhero team. Like I think everyone's done this. Like when everyone, every kid is coming up with their own superheroes, you know, they all design a team, and there's always like the archetypes. There's always like the different quintessential heroes. Yeah, but you've also got... They're clearly an edgy 90s team. Because you've got the guy with a skull face. Uh, you've got the guy with who's got... His eyes are narrowed. He's grinning maliciously. PJ, PJ um, quick pop quiz. Can you name, off the top of your head, without referencing... Oh, God. The eight members of the Hyper Clan. So... Protex, he's the leader, he's the golden dude, and it says that on the page I'm looking at, so yay. Um, I could believe you... Sorry, Skullface I was... robed guy is a mortal. Yes, indeed. So could you kind of like describe uh, Protex? He's kind of like the Superman-y analogue. Yeah, so he's wearing white disco trousers with golden boots, and he seems to have... I can't tell if he's just not wearing a shirt and his skin is golden. Looking at his face, I'd guess so. Or if he's wearing a golden th- skin tight outfit. I think he, I think he's topless, if I'm yeah. honest. But then big gold belt, gold gloves, gold cape, and a red like red jewel clasp thing holding his, his gold cape and long gold hair. And his would, speech bubbles are gold. And he's glowing. Like he's he, he's, glowing. I have to say, I really dig his design, actually. I think he's quite a cool um cool dude. I'm, I hope he sticks around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, joins the league maybe. Lovely. So you mentioned a, a mortal, a mortal who's got the skull face, flowing white, slightly tatty robes with a black and red costume underneath and a hood. Can I also just say, and I don't know what I think this says more about me than it does about the comic. Um, I really dig a mortal's design as well. I think he's amazing. <laughs> so here's here's my thing on it though. If you take Protex out of that image of the team of the Hyper Clan. Yeah. That looks like a team of villains. Oh, yes. Yeah, no, you're right. No, um, they... Yeah, ex- no, it's a very interesting point. I guess they are... They're presented as heroes, but you're right. Visually, they're not coded as so, such. I think this is Morrison's way of telling us straight away <laughs> without any further plot developments or anything. These are the bad guys of this story. Because aside from one of them, they look like typical comic book villains and then you've got the title of the story above them which is them with an exclamation point like the fantastic giant ant movie of the 1950s personal favorite of mine actually i have to say only when we started planning the show and i went back and looked at the issue titles i never realized that all the issue titles from this first run are named after like classic sci-fi stories yeah but the fact is the fact that it's the title them written in a very I don't know how you describe it. Very jagged, pointy font. It doesn't look friendly. It's very kind of like camp horror, isn't yes. it? You can kind of imagine that kind of slowly being slowly fading, like swiping into view across like a haunted castle or something like that. That title and font and these characters, these are not good guys. And Morrison is telling us that straight away. Now, is there a weird meta narrative here about how maybe they are good guys, but they're the nineties? equivalent of good guys i mean i think if we weren't reading jla (laughs) there'd be an (laughs) argument for that but it's the fact that you're reading a story where with superman with wonder woman in it 
and these guys pop out and they're they're obviously the bad guys. I also like because I know I know Morrison being you know bizarre wonderful chaos magician that he is is very much about like what does this mean like metaphorically like what's kind of going on here what's the story we're not reading <laughs> whatever notes he's not playing um and I I kind of I think I'd always kind of taken this story very much at face value and I don't think I'd really interpreted it as a a clash of cultures until I I don't want to get sorry ahead of myself too much but like I wonder if there's some weird kind of symbolic thing going on here where it's literally like this series is about the return of the Magnificent Seven, like the, the seven classic heroes. I think it very much is. And I think as if this were a different book, there could be a case to be made that these characters are a new breed of hero that's appeared. And I think that's something Morrison does again later on in, in the run um, with, a different, with a different twist on it. But I think it very much is saying, you know, this is the sort of... These are image comics heroes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> and um, they're just not as good as the League. I mean, like, you can kind of imagine that, like, any one of these characters could have been designed by, say, Rob Leefield, perhaps. Yeah. You yeah. know, of the time. Um, but PJ, sorry, I mean, I, you, we very nearly got you off a hook there. You've named two. Can we rattle through the other members of we... the Hyper Clan? <laughs> nope. I don't even know why I remember Amortal. I think it's because he's involved in one of my very favourite scenes in these four issues. Um, but I cannot remember the names of any of the others. Yeah, wait, is the super speed guy Zum? Well, well, PJ, I'm glad you asked. His name is spelt Zum, but if you if you look very closely, there's an umlaut over the U. Okay. So it would be pronounced Zoom. Ah, there we go. <laughs> because apparently these um, these uh, these alien superheroes who have travelled to Earth. Uh, have an appreciation of German um, when they when they when they chose their code names. Uh, so yeah, so uh, let me know if any of this rings a bell. So we have obviously Protex, uh, our kind of super Superman esque leader. We have a mortal spooky dude with a cloak and a skull face. We have Zoom the Speedster. If I was to say the name Primade, would that mean anything to you? One of the ladies. Yes, uh, she is maybe one of the slightly underdeveloped uh, female superheroes on the team. Uh, we also have Fluxus. Is that the the energy looking dude with the shield? No. Is that the stone guy? Yes, I think he's the shapeshifter. Oh, okay. Okay, uh, we have Armek. That's the big armor. Yeah, it's like thing. a massive robot kind of thing. Yeah. And then we have Zenturion. That's the shield guy. That's the shield guy, kind of like a low-budget Captain America. And we have Tronics. The other lady? The other lady, yeah. Uh, shaven head, uh, lots of piercings, and a wild look in her eye. There we go. So these are, these are our hot new heroes, PJ, which um, are definitely definitely heroes, and we're all going to love them a lot. Do you know how many times I've read this book and I still can't remember those names? <laughs> I bet you've forgotten them already. They've gone right out of your head. Protex. Yeah, no, it's gone. Okay, one, one. <laughs> okay, so sorry. So um, Protex uh, and then kind of announces his mission statement to planet Earth. Yeah, so we get a couple of pages where on TV it talks about how the Hyper Clan come from a dead world destroyed by its own inhabitants. They escaped, and they're basically here to make sure Earth doesn't suffer the same fate and do what they can to help. And as this kind of um, this TV broadcast is, is 
going across the planet. We cut to various cities across America where we see the Justice League in their civilian identities kind of watching this story unfold. Uh, so in Keystone City, one of those many, many uh, additional cities in this version of the US, uh, we have Flash and uh, his wife? Were they yeah. married at this point? Yeah, yeah and he, his... I think he was married to Linda at this point, yeah. And his wife Linda are watching the news and... Uh, Linda says, "Look, I know this is really important and all, but did you pick up my dry cleaning?" And then, in the span of in the in the space of time between two panels, her dry cleaning is suddenly on the side, and uh, Wally's hasn't moved a muscle. And he says, "Oh, there you go. Did I did I did I miss anything?" So, I think if you look at what Protex is saying on the TV, it's like he's missed a word. Oh, oh, look at that! It's clever, PJ. I never noticed that. Good God, you're teaching me so much today. Um, I'm teaching John how to read comics, everyone. This is brilliant. Um, we also have Wonder Woman in Gateway City. Didn't she run like an antique shop or something? Wasn't that her secret? Yeah, I, I believe so. And I think that's supposed to be Wonder Girl, um, Cassie. Oh, God, is there? it? I think, but she she looks younger than I would normally picture Wonder Girl, but I... I wasn't really familiar with Wonder Girl at this point. She hadn't joined Young Justice yet because Young no. Justice hadn't started. So, yeah, God, is it, I must admit, like of the many sidekicks, it's a bit hard to keep track of Wonder Woman's. Yeah, if I'm honest. Um, but then we have uh, Kyle Rayner, our, our, our beautiful new, uh, beautiful new hero who will enter and hold a special place in our hearts. Who is uh, an artist by trade. He is a uh, kind of like a, a graphic designer, and he's at his desk uh, watching watching this on the TV. And we also have uh, John Jongs, the Martian Martian Manhunter. Do you do you prefer a hard J or a soft J? On uh, John? I go um, Jean. Jean. Purely based on the pronunciation in the uh, Justice League cartoon. That's well, uh... we should probably honour that, shouldn't we? I will try and soften my J's. So uh, we have uh, Jean watching the news in Denver. Yeah, presumably in his own apartment. Was that a... Is that a reference to Justice League Extreme, which was a short-lived 90s series where John mentored John mentored a team of young heroes? Wasn't that based out of Denver? I never read it. I do not know, I'm afraid. Uh, well, again, I, I don't... You know, again, uh, the 90s. It was weird. Uh, <laughs> and as a, as a cute little touch, uh, John has a ton of... Um, Alien themed VHS tapes sitting next to his TV. Yeah, one's an autopsy video. <laughs> <laughs> and then was it Close Encounters, Aliens, and ET? Yeah, I mean, you know, why not? The classics. God bless him. Um, so yeah, so and then to kind of, I guess, kind of like uh, round off uh, the Hyper Clan's kind of message. They're basically saying, as as you rightly said, PJ, they're here to save the world and. Um, you know, we want to lead by example. You know, we don't. We want to actually improve planet Earth. And uh, if any of your superhero community wish to uh, chip in, we'll um, we'll welcome them. Yeah, and uh, then they get started pretty quickly because over the page, they essentially, through a whole load of pseudoscience, <laughs> turn the Sahara Desert into a garden. Yeah, like just kind of like they just get on it. Um, I get. I guess like this scene is also meant to be kind of like our introduction to the hyper clan like we're meant to kind of like get to know all their character all, all their names and get to love them um we don't necessarily 
get a clear introduction to all their powers. No. If I'm honest. Um, some of their powers are a little woolly. Like, for example, Zoom, that's a clear one. He can go super fast. And they make a point of saying that Fluxus is a shapeshifter. But the others are just kind of like big and tough and can fly. You get the idea that they're pretty strong. Centurion and Amortal bury thousands of tons of fertile topsoil. Yeah, and Centurion can make his shield massive, apparently. I never twigged that that was his shield. I thought they just built a big plate. Yeah, it's bizarre. He's made like his Captain America S shield just utterly gigantic, and they filled it with soil, which they're now dumping onto the Sahara. So, yeah, we just get this weird kind of slightly powerful, godlike kind of aspect to them, but we don't really get a sense of all their kind of unique powers, I think. But it does, it seems to make people very happy. And then you get basically Superman coming on the news to say, look, we don't know that this change is going to stick. We don't know if this is going to cause any other environmental factors here. It's just, it could just be a, a brief trick. And everyone starts shouting at him going, well, you didn't do it. Yeah, and I, and they, you know, the, the 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 assembled reporters are very quickly kind of turning against Superman because they're saying like, look, well, these guys are actually trying to improve the place, whereas like all you superheroes do is just punch the crap out of each other. Like, and wouldn't it be nice if you actually try to fix the world? Nineties, the nineties, everyone. <laughs> this is, and again, maybe this is like um, bold commentary. I don't know, but um, and I, I guess kind of like Protex gets some kind of like backhanded kind of jibes in because he he basically says like hey everyone you know cut superman a break all right you know he's he's trying like you know he doesn't really understand what we're doing but um you know what i've uh, i've got a world to fix so uh yeah it's me. it's a real he's 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 a real dick <laughs> he's gaslighting superman <laughs> i love I love that maybe this entire issue or the entire run could probably just be summed up with, yeah, Protex is a dick. Like, just <laughs> just a real dick. Um, but um, we then, you know, we see that the tide of public opinion is changing against um, Superman and the old ways, really. Like, people seem to, like, be on board with what the Hyper Clan have to offer. Even when, over the page, they start executing supervillains. Now, so yes, we have a supervillain tied to a post. I think this is just generic supervillain. I don't think this is a specific character. I certainly I mean, don't recognise him. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's got to be just generic supervillain, right? Like they, the the editors wouldn't have just let him have one character just to kill him on the span of two panels. Yeah. But basically, the Hyper Clan all using laser vision. So apparently, they all have laser vision. Even Zoom, the speedster to basically just incinerate him. And you can see, to his left, the smoking corpses of two other villains. Oh, look, it's Wolverine. Yeah, isn't that weird? Wolverine <laughs> has, has just been assassinated. <laughs> and one of the uh, villains. And Doctor Doom is next, I Yeah, believe. to his right. That's um, just one of those nice little Easter eggs I like to think that... Uh, is this kind of like, is, is, is this commentary? Is this, you know, is what does it mean, deep down? I think it's just Howard Porter having fun. I <laughs> think yeah, Howard Porter's just having a laugh. Um, I always wondered whether the the body we only partially see was meant to be someone else, and I could never quite pin it down. Wolverine yeah, is, I couldn't he, figure it out either. So off the back of that uh, kind of um, execution, uh, we learned that um, across the planet, 
a super crime is going down because like all the super villains are going into hiding like they're they terrified sp- they specifically mention uh, name drop the joker which is if you know the dc universe that is a scary one to be afraid if he's afraid and wants to go into hiding mm. then you know this is a big deal and and pj they also mentioned dr polaris what can you tell me about him I get my DC doctors confused sometimes. I believe <laughs> is Doctor Polaris the magnetic one. Yes, yes. He's DC's version of Magneto, basically. He's a, he's a poor man's Magneto, basically. Old uh, uh, long-term Green Lantern villain, I want to say. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so uh, but again, he he is as irrelevant as you can imagine because um, he's almost as irrelevant as Nuclon because as we. Uh, pan uh, up from a city and news of falling crime uh, we're now back on the uh, JLA satellite it's actually floating. a really good transitional shot with Porter pulling out um, in the four different shots further out so you've got street level, top of a city, country and then the satellite in space And it, I think it's really nicely done actually oh you're right actually sometimes I mean it's one of the you know the strange things about comics is that there is there is so much art on e- on each page, which sounds like the stupidest thing in the world to say, but <laughs> every every page is multiple pictures, multiple several illustrations that are all in service of telling the story. And sometimes you do kind of just breeze over something, which probably took the artist bloody hours to get right. Um, I guess it's like you only notice if it goes wrong. Like if they're doing it right. They're almost invisible. Well, so I, I tell you why I've noticed it this time. This is the first time I've read JLA since I wrote Trolltooth Wars, and I wrote something similar into the script for Gavin Mitchell, my artist, to draw, and he pulled it off beautifully. And doing that has made me more aware of that type of thing. So looking at it here, I'm like, oh yeah, look at that. Yeah. You've 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 kind of like you've you've become a little closer to Grant Morrison, and you know you've kind of you know the affinity is growing. He just needs to have heard of me now. That's. <laughs> I know, you spend so much time outside his window with a boombox, you'd think he'd have worked it out by now. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we cut to back to the JLA satellite, and now the B-Liskers, the C-Liskers, eh, D-Liskers, have been joined by Green Lantern and Wonder Woman. Uh, we don't really know why Green Lantern and Wonder Woman are here. I'm assuming it's very business-like. They're I assume maybe- it's to start moving... A-team stuff in. Yeah. Who organises that? Like, I'm fascinated by who does the admin of the Justice League. I'm trying to figure out which one of them their day job is best suited to it. Probably Superman. Yes, you're right. Oh, my God. Yes, you're right. You know, because he is a writer. He's a known writer. He probably has a spreadsheet or two lying around. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so basically, uh, up in the satellite, uh, Metamorpho, who is um, a boisterous fellow is uh, basically uh, making fun of the Hyper Clan's names and how they all sound like a line of cheap toys. Ah, the 90s. PJ, name name a member of the Hyper Clan. Protex. Oh, good. Okay, now that's an easy one. Name another one. Amortal. Okay, uh, third third try. Zoom. Zoom, okay. Oh, damn it. Okay, you're getting the safe ones. Okay. Well, we'll... Primade? Primade, nice. Okay, there will be there will be more pop quizzes down the line. Um, oh. But... <laughs> um, Unknown to the Justice League, well, actually, no, pretty known immediately, uh, strange figures are approaching the satellite from the void of space. In red spacesuits. Very kind of, like, juggernauty. Yeah. Which is weird. Yeah, if if Juggernaut's armour was a spacesuit, it would look like that. 
So the satellite is suddenly uh, attacked and the lights go out. And we get a very cool moment where Metamorpho turns... Uh, doesn't he, he, he turn his... He turns his skin into phosphorus, yes. I think? Yeah. So he starts kind of creating light. And he's also giving Green Lantern a bit of stick for being like the new guy. He basically keeps calling him kid, which Kyle is very young and very new at this. So, but Kyle doesn't like it. Can we talk about this amazing shot of Green Lantern, which we get here? Well, I've never understood why he's in that pose, but I've just noticed in the panel above, he's falling over. He gets knocked down. So this is how he stands up with energy crackling out of his ring and... It's really cool, actually. I do love I, it. Yeah, I've got to say, like, the 90s gets a lot of stick for everyone looking angry all the time in comics. Like, all, everyone was shouting or snarling. But hot damn, this is a good-looking panel. Like, he, he he just looks so cool. I I really loved Howard Porter's um, uh, kind of the way he presented Green Lantern's energy, yeah. particularly early on in the series. Like, it really felt alive and alien. And I like then on the next page as well where you get the these people in the spacesuits, they break into the satellite and Nuclon says it has to be them, the Hyperclan. Um, so giving us a hint there that maybe this is the Hyperclan. And Metamorpho uh, says to Green Lantern, what are you going to do? Waltz us out of here in a big green bubble? And Kyle just goes, no, that was the other guy and makes a big green robot dinosaur instead. So this was very much like... You know, he's not your daddy's Green Lantern, you know. Yes. He, he's an artist. He makes kind of really creative things with his ring. Um, again, I imagine every every artist on the DC uh, kind of payroll must have just kind of like aged 10 years overnight when they announced that because they're like, oh, God, you know, the things we're going to have to draw now. But it's one of the reasons, Kyle, I love him so much because he does do fun, unexpected things with the ring. It's not just the bubbles and the boxing gloves mm. and and you'll see that throughout jla in particular there's there's so many weird fun things he creates with his ring in fact you know just just to jump back to the previous panel very quickly i don't think i'd ever really noticed until this moment that kyle is making a firefly out of his ring to try and illuminate the room oh yeah i'd never noticed that either it, we can still discover new things isn't that mad? Um, <laughs> but yeah, so sorry, the Hyperclan have torn their way into the hull of the ship, so they are now venting oxygen, and uh, they're all trying to like, barricade themselves in the room while these strange kind of um, spacesuit-wielding humanoids are attacking the ship. Uh, and um... Sorry, PJ. Yeah, I, was just, I like that after he creates the dinosaur, Kyle gets a moment of recognition from Metamorpho, who spent the last few pages calling him kid, and then he just gives him a go get him Green Lantern. Yeah, no, that is that is nice actually. There's like a again, I feel this would be a recurring theme throughout the series, which I'm keeping I'm gonna keep coming back to, but I just love the professionalism. <laughs> I love the fact that pretty much everyone here, even if they haven't been doing this for very long, they kind of respect each other's abilities and powers and kind of trust each other. Um which is kind of indicated here when Green Lantern and Wonder Woman are like, okay, well, I guess we've got to go out in space to fight these people. And uh, Kyle's really kind of like uncertain about this. He's like, uh, so hey, like Wonder Woman, if you don't mind, I could use a bit of backup. And she's like, yeah, look, my name's Diana. Okay, don't stand on ceremony. We're all in the same league. And he's like, yeah, says you. It's like playing with the Beatles. Yeah, <laughs> and I it's love it. A, it's such a lovely moment. And um, yeah, and the two of them just 
pop out into space and go hog wild. We just start kind of like beating up these people. It's lovely. And and Morrison makes a point of of say it's silent out there. So he's he, he later on when Wonder Woman's speaking, he's Greenland's basically lip reading her. So yeah, oh, it's very stylish. I've got to say, and it's a small thing, but given that so many of like you know so many of the DC superheroes, so many of the JLA in particular are just very 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 strong and durable. Like maybe yeah. like on top of their usual powers. Uh, but I, th- I I always found it interesting how I think Superman, Wonder Woman, and John can all survive in space. Yeah. Pretty much fine, with the exception of needing to breathe. I think that's like the only the only hardship. Yeah, because I, I think it's established, I believe, that Superman can hold his breath for an hour. <laughs> it's nice, yeah. And um, Wonder Woman here, we see her putting on like a little mask just to breathe but not even like covering her eyes so her eyes are clearly durable enough to not just pop out of her head in the cold vacuum of space yeah (laughs) and also i get i I really like it's a really throwaway thing but i really like the fact that when kyle pops out into space this being like entirely his element um we get like just a little caption that says how the green plasma around his body is photosynthesizing oxygen yes i thought that was a cool little thing yeah, there's some nice descriptions of of what Kyle does with his how he feels about the the basically the force field he's got to use to fight these these aliens in space. So while Green Lantern and Wonder Woman are clearing up the uh, the invaders, uh, we get the Sea List heroes running down to the uh, kind of escape bay. But oh no, uh, they're broken. All of them are broken. So we get this really kind of nice character thing which again is more effort than i think the creative team had to put into it i think it's a nice little detail where it's like how are they going to escape and so metamorpho changes into an escape pod like he he shapeshifts into a, a kind of capsule which they all climb inside but also makes sure he's generating enough oxygen for them this is um, such yeah this is such like a like an, a wonderfully over-designed moment, if you know what I mean. It's like Metamorpho's powers have always sort of been... He's the element man, but there's always been a weird vagueness about what that means. He's one of those characters who it's probably quite difficult to actually write and do interesting things with him because the possibilities are actually rather vast. But I think what Morrison does here and what Porter visualises brilliantly is one of the most interesting things anyone's ever done with him. Yeah, because he's like... You you get the impression that because he's made this weird bubble, which they're now kind of like rocketing towards Earth in, but you you hear his kind of like dialogue while he's muttering to himself, tr- like concentrating furiously, and it's like he's trying to synthesize heat shielding, like he's trying to synthesize like um, long for long chain polymers, and he does some other stuff in a second, which is kind of cool. But it's a nice moment where they're using their powers creatively. And like an ice maiden is trying to cool him down from inside. Yeah, like it's just it's just a nice little. It, I don't know. It just it just adds a bit more flair than just people kind of punching and blasting each other. Yeah, and you still get that outside. There's Kyle making a spaceship out of this <laughs> ring energy to shoot the guys down, and unfortunately, they don't succeed. The satellite explodes. Well, we do we do get as you were saying, like we get this wonderful moment where we're inside Kyle's head, so we're getting his internal monologue and yeah. his thoughts, and it. 
definitely kind of makes me feel that like Kyle is the main character of maybe this entire series. He's our eyes into the league. He is the closest on this team of gods. He is he's incredibly powerful and gifted, but he is also the closest thing to an everyman on the team. And there's a lovely line where he says, working the ring is like giving up cigarettes. He feels like a a 60-a-day man. That is an idea which, ever since I first read it, I have completely struggled to (laughs) comprehend, if if that makes sense. Like, I'm I'm like, what does that... It's very cool. Don't get me wrong. Like, I love it. It's a great line. But I'm like, what does that actually mean? Yeah. (laughs) Like, really? (laughs) Oh, God, it's wonderful, though. And... As you said, they are unable to prevent the satellite from exploding. And you get this is just some some really nice nerd stuff here, where um, basically Grant Morrison describes the contents of the JLA's trophy room exploding into space. So you get uh, spirit jars, a giant hourglass, deadly playing cards, all the trophies of countless forgotten adventures emptied into a well of endless ink. Kanjar Rose Gamagong slices overhead and is gone. What the hell is Kanjaro's Gamma Gong? <laughs> I uh, love well, it. Well, I'll tell you, PJ. It was a uh, a gong which uh, alien slave uh, master Kanjaro used to mind control the League. I've never read that story. I've read other Kanjaro stories, but I've never read that one. I think that's like right. I think that's right back in like the forties or fifties or something. That's like a really, really, really old one. But I just love the deep dives that Morrison's giving us here, and and. Just little throwaway bits like that that that, that that do tie this into the greater DC continuity. And what's the meta-narrative here, PJ? What's the story we're not reading? Is it is it symbolic? Is it the end of an era? Like, literally, we're blowing up all those trophies of the past? Discuss. Partly. I think <laughs> partly. I think part, it, it's part that. It's part just a bit of fun. Um, like Porter putting Wolverine in the execution scene. Um, I think it's Morrison saying... I know DC history. You're safe with me. Here's some cool stuff to show that you, you know, I know this stuff. I know these characters. You are safe in my hands. But at the same time, it is saying we are also clearing the deck. It's a bit of a flex, isn't it? It's a bit yeah. like, you know, you've got to put your stamp on the series pretty quickly. And I think every every time a new creative team takes over any long-running superhero thing, there's always some status quo changer right at the start. Yeah. Now, maybe, maybe at the end it all reverts back, but... You know, they, you've you've got to just kind of plant your flag in the sand. It's yeah. also a very a very nice touch here. I like the fact that Kyle generates a shield to protect Wonder Woman. Yeah, because he knows he's protected from the blast, but presumably he doesn't know her levels of um, indestructibility. It's just a, it's just a nice little professional courtesy, I yeah. think. You know, why wouldn't you? Uh, so as uh, the satellite explodes. We uh, cut, suddenly, uh, a world away to the Antarctic, where the Hyperclan are standing on the icy wastelands, and um, Protex is uh, reminiscing. Uh, so this is, like, far away from the camera, like, far away from, like, uh, uh, you know, the press and the media and all that. But he, he basically kind of hints at the idea that they've been to Earth before, a long time ago. A long, long time ago. He says uh, he remembers barges heaped with spices and precious metals uh, and the music of the brass gongs, gongs again, 
uh, and the toiling of the war mills. Life was good then. Hmm. Hmm. What does all this mean, I wonder? It means they've been here before. My God. <laughs> You know, I'm glad you're here, PJ. I think I think this is the dynamic we're settling into. I think you're going to answer a lot of mysteries which have plagued me for years. I'm I'm happy to help, man. <laughs> uh, so all the Hyper Clan, using their oddly generic laser vision powers, uh, start blasting blasting the ice apart to yep. re- reveal this absolutely massive structure from below below ground, uh, which um, Protex announces as the glory of Zion Zor. Oh look, apostrophes. Mm. Like or, in I guess I Jean like, Jones. Hmm. Like Jean Jean Jones, that's weird. I guess it should be Zon Zor, maybe not Zion Zor. I have no idea, and I don't think we're ever gonna find out what this means, what this is. <laughs> and, oh, who knows? And I don't think it matters. Uh, <laughs> so so then we have we'll, we'll pronounce um, it different every time, it's fine. We have our uh, C-list uh, Justice Leaguers uh, kind of rocketing towards Earth uh, in, inside Metamorpho. And uh, the little pod they're in is filling with a strange liquid, which uh, Nuklong says, I think it's some kind of shock-absorbing fluid. And then I love the next the next bit of dialogue. He's trying to protect us from the... And then he realises and just goes, oh my. And you get this <laughs> lovely panel of Metamorpho striking the Earth with a great speed and a beautiful sound effect. What? <laughs> W-H-U-T-T, massively filling the whole page. Uh, it's a really striking image. It is. It's a beautiful page, actually. And then we we get a lovely shot of um, the Justice Leaguers in this crater and um, Metamorpho's kind of like distorted, d- misformed body kind it's, of like... It's pretty the- grotesque. It's like a really grotesque paddling pool. Yeah, and all his kind of gooey, shock-absorbing insides are kind of just splashing around um again a nice touch and frankly you could have just had them blast out on a regular escape pod so morrison clearly clearly decided to have some fun with metamorpho there and it's it's really he leaves us hanging as well you don't find out any more of what's referred to these guys until i think issue five yeah we do get a little throwback don't we it's quite a nice little touch uh but we will cover that in a later episode so then uh, we cut with, with the weird kind of transition of time. You know, we go straight from an action scene to Superman reminiscing about an action scene. So we have Superman and Flash uh, racing, uh, one running, one flying, uh, towards their destination and having a conversation as they go. Basically about the, the status of the, uh, the leaguers who crashed. Uh, Superman says, Nuclon, Ice Maiden, and Obsidian are badly injured. Metamorpho is, well, we're not quite sure what he is. The doctors use the word inert. Um, I, I actually, it's a small touch. I like the fact that Superman went to the hospital with them. Yes, it's a very Superman thing to do. He's like, he's like a caring boss. Yeah. You know, he's like, your boss, he didn't have to. He could have just sent like a get well soon card, but he came to the hospital to see how you were. It's nice. It is. And I like there's another little touch here later on the page um, where it refers back to Wally's history as as the Flash and Kid Flash, where Superman says, I'm counting on you to keep everyone together, Wally. You've worn a costume longer than most of us and your speed allows you the time to check in with everybody. And then Wally bitches about Green Lantern. I do do kind of like the idea that 
Although, of course, there has been an adventure before this, which, of course, we will come back to, Midsommar's Nightmare, these characters don't necessarily know each other very well. Because we've got a couple of new faces. You know, we've got Green Lantern. Uh, we've got Flash, who is the new Flash, uh, following the death of, of Barry, Barry Allen. Um, but I like the idea that they're all... There's never any question about them all being on the league. You know what I mean? You never had to do, like, an audition process. They are just the best of the best. Like, kind of these godlike beings on the planet. Like, it makes sense that they would all be a team together. And then Flash does what he does and asks Superman if they're actually racing. <laughs> yeah, it's a lovely touch because they're actually running across the ocean at this point. And um, Flash is technically like, oh, if you were drawing, if you were paying attention, he's kind of like a meter behind Superman, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And it's a lovely little thing where he goes, oh, is this a race, as you said? And then suddenly flashes at the destination and there's no sign of Superman. Like, Morrison does have a lot of fun playing around with the powers and, you know, the things you can do between panels when a character is is super, super fast. Yes. Yeah. And it is a couple of panels before Superman shows up, actually, so I think we can say Flash beat him by about 20 seconds. Yeah, it's probably fair. Uh, and um, the Justice League, uh, well, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, Jean Jong's Flash and Superman have assembled in, I, I kind of now I I may be reading too much into this, but I think this might be the Justice League bunker, which was the basis of that. I think that's where the Detroit-based team. Oh yes, yeah, was based. Now I have no, I have nothing to back that up with, but I have a suspicion this is the Justice League bunker. It would make sense, and it's the sort of thing uh, Morrison would do. Yeah, it's kind of like, so they're in this kind of like slightly dingy base, and they're responding to the crisis, trying to make sense of it all. Um, so the Hyper Clan are back on TV, and they're basically saying, hey, look, you know, we had nothing to do with this. Uh, Superman seems intent on engineering a conflict. Like, I really hope it doesn't come to that. Yeah. But, and then you have Superman arriving, saying he spoke to Protex and flat out said he asked him straight away. And uh, he denied any hyperclan involvement in what happened. He was lying. And I actually find that kind of, again, a small, maybe I'm reading too much into it. I think that's a fun, small moment in that if you picture that scene we didn't see, Superman went and asked this guy, did you attack my team? He said no. Superman knows he's lying. And didn't beat the crap out of him. You know what I mean? I think that's actually like a really nice detail. I like the fact that it didn't clearly didn't result uh, devolve into all-out violence. Like Superman was smart enough to know that even though this guy is guilty as hell, I'm gonna consult with my team and work out what we're gonna do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then you do get the point that that Kyle raises, which is a good point of. Um, are they right? Have what if we haven't done enough? But Jean quickly shoots that down with a uh, they've been killing people. Yeah. No, I like there's a kind of moral absolutism to John, Jean, which I I really like. Like he's not he's never kind of he's never like a fascist about it, but I think in in Jean's world there are clearly things which are wrong, you know, and he he has a kind of in, impenetrable moral core, which I think is he is kind of like the heart of the team, really. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and, and again, talk, speaking to that kind of professionalism and trust, they're basically going like, so yeah, we've got to do this right. We've got to we've got to get to the bottom of this, and we've got to stop them. 
And um, they go, well, okay, so what, is everyone in? And they're like, well, Aquaman hasn't responded because, you know, he's Aquaman, you know, and um, and there's no sign of Batman. And uh, <laughs> and in a very cool moment, because again, Morrison's having fun. He's been given the best toys to play with. Uh, Batman emerges from the shadows and goes, I'm here. I've been here an hour. I didn't think I'd make it, but Gotham's been quiet. And uh, Superman uh, is, of course, a little confused by this. And he says, uh, oh, that's strange. I uh, didn't hear your heartbeat. Uh, and it's a lovely moment because Batman says, um, huh, the gadget worked. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> so, and I think, is that the first uh, instance of the Morrison Batman HH sound? Yes. Oh, my God. The the huh. Yeah. Like, uh, we need to get that on a T-shirt, I think, because that is possibly the greatest <laughs> line of dialogue that Batman has ever said and will repeat many times throughout this run. It's brilliant. It speaks volumes. Um, but I guess as we kind of arrive at the the last page of our opening issue, uh, Batman, who of course is already all over this, yep. asks Superman if he can detect microwaves. And he already knows. Batman knows Superman can detect microwaves. <laughs> He's been polite. Exactly. <laughs> Professional courtesy. Superman's the closest thing in this world Batman has to a friend outside of his immediate Bat family. So he's been nice to him. So, but yeah, but Superman is able, of course, to detect microwaves. Batman knew this. And he is able to, uh, he, 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 you know, looks using his microwave vision, however that works. Uh, but he says that there's um, increased activity on the 7 hertz wavelength, which is being transmitted, he said, from a number of concealed orbital sources. Ooh, what could that mean? Well, Batman's on it. Batman knows. It's mind control. Because uh, that's the frequency the human brain operates on. Because, of course, that is something which uh, Superman and Batman would just instantly know, <laughs> I, I guess. Um, but yeah, and, and like um, Batman, he's just instantly all over it. It's like, no, look, this isn't, you know, this isn't what we think it is. It is an invasion. Uh, they're well-planned. They're organised, um, you know, and they're... You know, they, they, they're. This is like a military organization, basically, and we get kind of like the closing, I guess, badass moment, if you will, is Batman and the League kind of facing the camera, and Batman says, "PJ, this is war." <laughs> and then the kind of like the Inception horns somehow play out of the comic. Um, oh, that didn't happen in mine. No, it's weird. I mean, it, it surprises a lot of people because it was at least 13 years before uh, Inception came out. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Hang Zimmer was kind of like uh, workshopping some ideas. But there we there we have it. There we have it. Issue one, kind of um, a mission statement and uh, a, a brand new, a brave new world for the Justice League. A, a new world order, you might say. Uh, yeah. So, PJ... Having revisited this at, at microscopic level, uh, ha- what are your thoughts? How do, how do you feel about it as a as a as a story? I still love it. I think it's a brilliant setup. Um, Morrison drops the hints in there as to what's really going on for anyone who's who knows DC history and is paying attention. Which, of course, at this point, I didn't. I I knew that the Hyper Clan were bad guys. That's all I could sort of gather. But when you get to the reveal, let's say, of who they are. Um, everything's there for you in that first issue if you know you can figure that out but it just the the character introductions are are wonderful the fact that batman doesn't appear till the last page but is still like key player (laughs) yeah completely steals the scene despite again only being on in the issue for i believe like 
five panels. Yeah. You know, that's not a lot. I mean, like, if, if, if I was writing a Justice League comic, I don't think I'd have the personal fortitude to not put Batman in every panel. Yeah. Even the um, kind of incidental panels, which are just setting up scenery, I'd be like, oh, there's Batman in the background. <laughs> He's like Poochie, basically. Like when, Poo- <laughs> when Poochie's got on screen, everyone should be asking, where's Poochie? Um, but it is, it's a very powerful opening. Yeah. And I, I don't know if we'll ever see it's like again. I feel, I feel kind of, it was like a, like a bolt of lightning when it kind of hit. And I can't, because again, Grant Morrison had been writing weird comics up yes. until now. That was, that's, and, and arguably, maybe that's entirely what he's known for, most of all, is just being weird and odd. And, you know, a lot of his stuff was quite adult. Yeah. Or, or quite, um, you know, meta. I mean, uh, something like his run on uh, Animal Man, ultimately, you know, it was it was a superhero comic, but it was really about the nature of stories and, and kind of the relationship between a creator and the creation. So... I think everyone, everyone kind of associated him with doing this weird kind of metaphysical, slightly kind of loftier kind of stuff. And then, but, but, but what I kind of like about this is that you give him the Justice League, you give him the keys to the car, and he it doesn't become this, you know, bizarre kind of... It's just the right level of weirdness is what I'm trying to say. Like, he can do the action really well. He can do yes. the character moments really well. He's got heart. He's got action. And there's just enough of a weird quirk to make it a little more interesting. He's he's very... Um, he takes it seriously, he, his responsibility to these characters and to present them in their... Effectively, their truest, most classic forms... And he, he's not doing anything weird with the characters. He'll sometimes put them in weird situations, but it's very much classic Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Do you feel his... Do you feel Wonder Woman gets a little short-changed in this first run? Um, Certainly in the, that first issue. I mean, she does get the cool action scene in the fighting the Hyper-Clan in space, trying to stop the satellite from exploding. I think... The first, but let's be honest, the first run is Superman and Batman and Green Lantern, really. Yeah. Are the key players, I think, um, at this point, certainly. Um, I, guess it, I guess it could be argued that Aquaman got even got an even rougher deal well, for yeah, not even being in the issue. He's mentioned. <laughs> he's mentioned. That's it. <laughs> yeah. God bless him. Poor Aquaman. Like, um, although I, you know, again, going back to the thesis of it's for, it's for notes he's not playing... When somebody tells me about a character who's not in an issue and everyone's like, you know, where's Poochie? I'm like, I do care about Poochie. I want to know where Poochie <laughs> is. So I do kind of go, oh, it's an Aquaman fellow. I bet he'll be interesting when he turns up. And he will. And he will. Um, but again, kind of touching on that weirdness, I, I, I think that core Morrison beautiful weirdness kind of like, filtered through the lens of the Justice League is what gives us these wonderfully creative character moments. Like, using the powers in an odd way, just looking at something slightly differently to get a, a just a more... 
I don't know, just like it's more than just people punching each other, which I yes. think is is great. You know, it's more than just um, broad-chested fellows standing on kind of like a, a broken rubble, saying powerful things and staring into the distance. I mean, it is, yeah, there's something about it that gets under your skin. Yeah, I agree. I think it's there's a hopefulness to it that is is quite lovely. And I think that's part of it, certainly for me, um, is the fact that these are heroic characters. They're not your dark, edgy, moody, gritty heroes. They are heroic, and that's that's sometimes what you want from these characters. And I think they're very, I think they're very pragmatic as well. Like, yeah, they they're not cheesy. And the fact that they they've been doing this a while, they know what they're doing, and they're the best of the best by virtue of being just so good at what they do. You know, there's a reason Batman is unfailingly on the team, even though he sometimes just has no desire to be on the team. Like he 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 just he knows he may not want to admit it, but that is kind of where he belongs in a way. Yeah. Yeah. If he could, do, if he could just do away with that pesky civilian identity, he'd probably be a, <laughs> a lot happier. Um, could we could we take a moment to talk about the the look of the issue and and just the, the kind of visual elements, uh, courtesy of Howard Porter and John Dell. Who uh, I believe John Dell was the uh, Inca on the on the run. I, I apologise, John, if you're listening. I don't mean to do you a disservice. Uh, yeah, John Dell Inca. Pat Garrahy was the colour colourist, um, and then something called Separations were done by Heroic Age. I don't <laughs> even know what that is, but oh god, no, we we know comics. You and I, we know what we're doing. Um, <laughs> isn't um, there? I have a real affinity, like uh, like because this series changes a lot. And the arcs changes a lot over the course of the series. Um, and I think any, you know, th- you know, shout out to Howard Porter. I mean, having to draw these characters once is a challenge. I mean, this is testament to the amazing work of any comic book artist because drawing a character once is hard. Drawing him five, five times on a page is hard. And then, of course, you've got to do a whole whole issue. You've got to do a whole run. I mean, Howard Porter was drawing these characters for like, you know, nearly 40 issues. And I guess kind of like like training a muscle, like as you become kind of more comfortable with depicting a character, as you, you know, you draw them over and over and over again, your kind of interpretation of them is going to is gonna change a little yeah. bit. Like they become a bit more rounded. And certainly in this first issue, which would have been like kind of like the baptism of fire for Howard Porter, there's a certain, and I mean this in a really good way, there's like a certain roughness to the characters which i really yes. like yes i think particularly i find it particularly evident in superman and his depiction of superman um i think his depiction of superman will will only get better and better and better um but i do quite like the the rough edges to it uh, in I, this issue i mean the world is a lot poorer for having lost superman's beautiful mullet <laughs> but god bless it like this is what i mean about like in a way Loving where the series goes, but also kind of wishing it had never changed beyond like yeah. those first ten issues, perhaps, because it does feel like you've got these amazing action figures and you're just kind of slapping them together in creative, weird scenarios. It's, it's, it's why I really like um, uh, American Dreams, the second uh, the second volume. Yeah, I th- I think that's there's some there's some really fun things going on there, and I like how. This is also a perfect distillation of the 90s, like just the way everyone looked. It was kind of like the best the 90s had to offer, I feel. Yes, 
Yes, I agree. And how it that, just did away with... I quite like how it just sort of says, that this is the 90s, we're doing away with that. Because you get rid of the 90s Z-list characters, like Nuclon, and and just, here's the classic heroes as they're supposed to be. Can we... I also like to say how much I love Green Lantern's costume. Yes. Now, <laughs> again, that is a petty detail, and I know he was not created in the pages of Justice League, and I suddenly... I don't have that information to hand. I will have to look that up for a future future uh, episode as to who was actually responsible for designing Kyle's costume. But hot damn, I love it. I've I've got those issues somewhere. I'll I'll dig them out. I know uh, Ron Mars, I think, was the writer, but I can't remember who the artist was. Just we'll check ab- that for next episode. Oh my god! I mean, and the crab mask. Like that <laughs> I love beautiful, it. I love the crab mask. That beautiful, beautiful basket on his face. It's just lovely. Um, and I guess kind of like. It's interesting that the closing, the closing panel in the entire issue. You know, to talk about that weird kind of slightly scratchy angularness of the art, which I kind of love. Um, some of the poses on that last, uh, that last page are a little odd, and I don't. I certainly don't mean that in a bad way, Howard. If you're listening, I think they're lovely, but I think they're they're perfectly representative of the way characters stood and acted in comics. It's it's the fact. The, the the shapes Green Lantern and Flash are using just to get into the shot. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, yeah. And like and Batman is oddly kind of flexible in that first panel at the top yeah. of the page. Like I um Howard Porter gets really, really good at drawing Batman. Yes, down he the does. Line. Like I love his Batman, but he, he isn't quite he hasn't quite finalised, I think, how he wants Batman to look in this on this page. I think where Porter's art really kicks off and where you know he's nailing the characters fully is Rock of Ages. Mm. Yes. No. Oh, God. I was rereading Rock of Ages the other day. And, yeah, there are some beautiful panels, some panels which are kind of just, like, seared into my mind of how those characters look. It's just fantastic. I I am excited to get to that because one of the things I found with rereading this one and talking about this issue is the amount of things I saw for the first time, Mm. the new stuff that still hit me. Even though I've read this run so many times, it's still new details. And in a story like Rock of Ages, how many new things are going to hit me in the face there? Well, indeed, yeah. I mean... like I said, yeah, you you've taught me things today. Like you 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 teach me so much, PJ constantly. And <laughs> I I I think kind of one thing I'm really looking forward to is like going over this again and, and kind of like rediscovering the things I loved about this series and, and and maybe kind of like discovering new things is actually it this series taught me a lot about it kind of shaped I feel it kind of shaped how I write actually because this was like the this was the formative comic. For me this is the one that kind of really made me want to write comics that's what kind of grant morrison did for me and i i i would say to anyone who is uh, aspiring to write comics or create comics um it's worth a visit just to learn about the economy of storytelling and how you can give a large cast of characters time to shine yeah i agree I think uh, a lot happens in twenty-two pages. Like it really does. It's amazing how how and a lot of big events, but none of them feel like they've been given short shrift. No, and it's. I think that is. I think that's the greatest skill I think you can have in comics is time manipulation. Like if you can make a two-page fight scene feel like it lasted half an hour, 
then you're you're doing something right. Yeah. You know, I, I think that is such a powerful ability. So yeah, it's not about writing. It's not about comics. It's about time management. <laughs> Professional courtesy. This is what I'm saying. Um, so PJ, did, did did you have anything you wanted to add? Um, only that I am excited to dive into issue two with you. Yeah, no, uh, PJ, I, I can think of no no better person to uh, to go on this journey with. Um, thank you. It's been a joy. Uh, so um, I guess for real challenges, how do we how do we sign off before next next episode? This means war. This means war. I misquoted it as well. It's this is war. Oh, damn it. I was quoting Bugs Bunny, not...